happy, what the hell is today? Thursday. How is everybody? Welcome to the QTR Podcast. Today's December 3rd, 2020. Lovely to have you here. Lovely to be with you. Lovely to have Mark Spiegel on the line. Before we get started, I want to remind my listeners, this is a 100% Patreon-supported podcast. I rely on the donations. This podcast costs nothing, and it will always be free, and it will never have advertisements in the middle of the podcast, because I fucking hate that. But I will do them up front here. First and foremost, I want to shout out my patrons. Patrons are people that sign up and donate a monthly recurring sum to help support the podcast. I want to thank my friends and my exclusive gold and silver provider over at JM Bullion. What's going on, JM Bullion? Link to all their shit is in my podcast description. It is the only place that I buy my gold and silver bullion. There's a very good reason for that. I am a very happy customer, and I am happy that they are supporters of the podcast. They turn around my orders quickly. They've got a decade-long track record. They've done over $3 billion in sales, and QTR podcast listeners have their own sales representative at JM Bullion. So if you never bought gold before or silver, you have questions, you don't want to do it through the website, email Kathy, K-A-T-H-Y at jmbullion.com. She will make sure that you get taken care of. You will get free shipping for all orders over $199. And if you tell her that the Q-Man sent you, she'll knock off $5 from your order. Shout out my friend Kathy over at JM Bullion. The links to JM Bullion are all in my podcast description. This podcast also brought to you by my homeboys over at the Sanglucci Steam Room. The Sanglucci Steam Room is a one-of-a-kind piece of software that helps you track options flow in the market. Basically, it does the tape reading for you. It checks out where the big money is coming into the illiquid options market and points out to you where the steam is going. Man, Wall Street Jesus pioneered a lot of these early terms that everybody uses now, like sweeps. He was the first guy to say that shit. Steam. He's a big steam coming into a name. He was one of the first guys to use that. If you actually go with, like, I think Lucci has a glossary of terms on their uh, um, uh, steam room uh, website somewhere. And if you look at all the terms, it's all the shit that people say now. These guys were the OGs, man. They were the first to do it. Before there was unusual options activity, before that was a business model for, like, every peckerhead on the street, Lucci was doing it, and he's the best. And that's why he's got a lot of money. So what do you think about that, folks? Check out my friend Sang Lucci and his wonderful piece of software, as well as the 3LT playbook, three rules he used to become a seven-figure trader, and the Sang Lucci Master Course, which I think just wrapped up, which will probably start up again in a couple of months, but well worth it, the Sang Lucci Master Course. If you want to get a financial education from a guy that isn't named Chet wearing a fucking bow tie, that's a great place to go. All those links are in my podcast description, just like Lucci. Also, too, I want to thank out my thank my homeboy Pete Hedges over at the Trader's Path. Another honest guy doing business in the financial world. They may be the only three honest companies in all of the financial world because really it is an industry. Liter- what does he say in Armed and Dangerous when uh, Captain McConnell first addresses the security guards? He says the world is a shithole full of shitty little scumbags who are scared shitless. <laughs> Eugene Levy says to John Candy, you think he's, uh, I forget what he says. He said, you think he's a little too intense? And John Candy's like, I think he's right. So anyways, that brings me back to one of my favorite movies. Anyways, my homeboy Pete over at the Trader's Path has a day trading service that will give you a live stream. It will give you a daily watch list. It will surround you with a community of people who you can bounce your terrible ideas off of and they can tell you how bad they are to hopefully prevent you from losing money. By the way, Pete, if you're listening, I watched one of your, uh, I think it was like one of your Sunday night um, scans for 
Monday morning or uh, one of your overnight uh, watch list videos that you have on YouTube a week ago. And I actually, uh, I thought it was really good. I'm, and I'm not even a technical analysis guy. Some of it was technical analysis, but you actually sounded like you were knew what you were talking about. So I, I'm very impressed, Pete. And I'm not just saying that because you support the podcast. Just like Lucci, if you reach out to Pete individually, he'll give you a discount. He'll let you sign up without a credit card. Just tell him you're a QTR podcast listener and me and you go way back and they'll make sure you get taken care of. I promise it. Same goes for JM Bullion. All that shit is in my podcast description. This podcast also brought to you by my friends over at Corvus Gold, my friends over at Investors Underground and Traders for a Cause, my favorite charity, my friend Ken R., Chris Bede, Nicholas Parks, my homeboy Matthew Zimmer, Jay Mintzmeyer, Russ Valenti, my homeboy Crichton Titus, Stank Love. How about my oldest patron, Max Mulvihill, still in the house, wrote me some shit on Twitter the other day. I was like, there he is, fucking M3, still hanging around. Kyle Thomas, Chris Bede, Chris Gerard, I appreciate you guys, some of my newest patrons, James Paulus, Brian uh, Fehrenbach, what's up, brother? Eugene Jolly, Tony Prez is still in the house. Ray and Daniel Reither, Derek Seifert, my friends at the IntelliTrade app are still hanging out. I appreciate you, as well as my buddy Brett is still here. And Shane Yeakley, thank you so much, my brother. Some of my patrons that have been with me for a minute, like Fred Rush and M. Stillwell, Terrevoir, thank you, my friend. Sean Wyland. I appreciate your continued support. Brian Gray, Bryce Kiefer, and my homeboy, uh, TJ. Didn't think I forgot about you, TJ. This podcast has a three-drink minimum. In addition to that, I am not a financial advisor. Nothing on this podcast is to be construed as financial advice. I hold no licenses, no registrations. I strongly recommend you don't listen to anything that I say on this podcast. And in fact, I strongly recommend you don't listen to this podcast at all. With all that being said, why don't we get started with the damn show today? All right, on the line with me today, recurring guest and no longer a member of the Twitter community. The recently... <laughs> the, the, the That's re- not true. The re- I have a backup account. Would you let me that. say your name first before you start <laughs> correcting me, please? <laughs> the, <laughs> Jesus Christ. The, uh, the fucking too hot for TV... Uh, Mark Spiegel, here he is, ladies and gentlemen. Stanfield Capital, everything else. Yeah, I'll put it all in the podcast description. Hello. I don't know about I don't know about too hot for TV. I, you know, I don't have a face for TV. I don't even have a face for radio anymore. All I have a face for is fucking podcasts. But anyway. yeah, and even that is uh, you're right. Even on the, that is iffy. Yeah, you're, you're right on the borderline. What's going on? What's next? What the what, hell happened? Your- First off, you, I, I went to send you a message yesterday to confirm your podcast appearance, and uh, you're, I was notified that I could not send you a message on Twitter. Well, so, you know, Goldman did this nonsense upgrade on Tesla. We can talk about it or not. But the point is that, you know, I said some things about Goldman basically calling the analyst a whore and whatever, and and – what happened was, and this the, the one that got me knocked off was actually a, a reply to Jim Cramer. I happened, just happened to see his tweet where he said, uh, you know, this, this, this upgrade was so tortured and, and convoluted, I'm paraphrasing him, that I almost feel bad for the analyst. I said, no, Jim, the analyst is a whore. And, and you know, I said, and he's got no excuse for this kind of whoredom unless... Uh, unless uh, DJ Saul sexually abused him as a kid. I well, said, Fuck that'll him. do it. You can't so, say that. Well, but here's the thing. So I get to, it instantly, like 
you know, you within sent like, me a message last night. Like, I have no idea why they suspended me. <laughs> well, wait a second. Hold on. So within five seconds, I'm suspended, which tells me, obviously, this was an algo and, and not human. Of course. And, and they said, you can't threaten people and threaten harm to people or something. And obviously, I wasn't threatening harm. I was calling, you know, this guy a whore. And I think what happened is I think their algo took certain words just out of context and instant suspension. So I appealed that. I have no idea what will happen. I don't know how long it will take. I don't know if the appeal person is like, a you know, a native speaker of English who would understand this or if he's some, you know, guy in a call center in, in India. I don't know. Yeah. But so we'll see what happens. But meanwhile, I'm tweeting, at least for now, under my backup account, which is actually sort of named after my fun name which is just at Stanfield Cap, spelled S-T-A-N-P-H-Y-L, uh, Cap, C-A-P, Stanfield Cap. And, um, you know, it's like the same deal, but obviously I've lost like, you know, I don't know, 20-something thousand people. <laughs> so whatever, uh, you know, it's, yeah, it's just, still fun Just explain me. to them, just explain to them, hey, just be, you know, be reasonable. Be like, listen, I wasn't, it wasn't hate speech. Because uh, that's you told me yesterday was hate speech, whatever. So I just tell no, them they, that's what they told me. That's what right. they, that's what their algo said. Yes. Right. Right. Well, that that's what it is. I mean, you call the guy a whore, and you know that's probably what set it off. But I didn't I'm, call him. I I talked about him in the third person. I think there's a difference. I, I'm I'm not being facetious or a wise guy. I mean, like Twitter says, you can threaten somebody or threaten harm to somebody. But that's not saying, hey, that guy is a whore. I'm not threatening him or or harassing him, you know? Well, you that could be construed as harassing. Look, just just tell him it's all a big mix up. Well, I don't know who to I don't know who I'm telling. I mean, I filled out Just a tell form Jack that's... in a reasonable tone of voice. Be like, "Listen, Jack, I tell Jack. I did say, I did in fact call this person a whore and did make reference to the chief executive officer of Goldman Sachs." abusing them as a child but you've got no, it all, I said, you've I got said it all it would, wrong <laughs> just explain just it be would reasonable apply if he abused him as a child but i said he obviously didn't i mean i was i was on the side of dj Sol. i was saying there's no way that guy would have done that to him so therefore the analyst is a whore without a good reason for it DJ i mean Sol. if you're fucking 50 <laughs> years old and you're the ceo of goldman sachs and you're out djing raves in the hamptons <laughs> on a weekend you need to fucking talk to a therapist i'm sorry you know what I mean? I mean, I, I am all for people pursuing their passions, but I, I I thought Jack running two companies was a bit much, but this guy running Goldman Sachs, okay, which, and then there was this big thing yesterday, Mark, where people are like, uh, Goldman Sachs is getting booted out of the White House in favor of BlackRock. Does anybody know why? It's like, yeah, <laughs> maybe because the fucking 50-year-old CEO of the company is out wearing Hawaiian shirts on the weekend and, uh, you, know, you know, DJ and booze cruises going to Belize. Like, you know, not a good look. You didn't see Lloyd Blankfein doing that shit, did you? You know, look, that that's, that's funny. I mean, that's that's good material, but in reality... Look, if that's what the guy's doing in his spare time, God bless him. Seriously, I don't begrudge him that. I mean, he's, he himself said, he's like, listen, I'm not spending four hours on the golf course three days a week. This is my thing. I don't have a problem with that. What I do have a problem with is those whoring scumbags who know, they, they know that Tesla is the biggest bubble they've ever seen in their careers. And I know they know because I speak, look, I don't know specifically him, but they're smart guys. And I speak to a lot of big fund managers and a lot of them have just given up at this point, who have said, this is just, I've never seen anything like this. They know. 
They know. And yet they're they're letting their analysts write this ridiculous, whoring thing. And really, it reflects stupidly on Goldman. I guess they figure, well, you know, everyone will forget about this in a year. And, you know, a lot of people will forget about it. It's not going to reflect stupidly when they cash that billion dollar uh, commission check for underwriting the next secondary. Yeah, but it won't be a billion dollars and and it won't be worth the the further damage, I think, to the reputation of the firm. Let me put it this way. Of Goldman? Well, you know, Goldman has a reputation for being sharks, but they don't have a reputation for running a fucking boiler room, right? And this is boiler room material. And, you know, when Goldman was a private partnership and when it was run, you know, who's the guy who ran it for all those years? Um, I think his son is still there or was there recently. I forget the name. It was before your time and my time. Anyway, he wouldn't have allowed something like that. You know, it's one thing to take the other end of a CDS trade and yeah, be a but shark. That's that they're they're an S and P indexed company now that have gotten all this legitimacy from you know everybody on the street and the financial media. So if you're Goldman and you have the chance to make a couple of hundred million underwriting a secondary, which I think is what everybody thinks is going to happen here because of this upgrade. Uh, well, would, by the way, you do it. Uh, no, well. I, I might do it, but I wouldn't put out a research report like that. With that's that's factually wrong and nonsensical and convoluted. I, I mean, I wouldn't whore myself. I'd say, yeah, Alon, I'll do it, but you know, your stock is a bubble. I can't, in good conscience, come out and say that it's worth you know two hundred billion more than the six hundred billion it's already selling for, or whatever. I mean. That, that's that's what I have a quarrel with. I don't care if they want to do the deal. I don't blame them for that. But that's how you do a that's how you do a secondary. The first well, the first you know, move so, on the on the part of the underwriter is always to in, you know put out some insane actually, coverage note. Yeah, but in the past, so there was one deal where Goldman hoard themselves so badly that they upgraded the stock literally like the morning that they did I the deal. Remember that? Yep. Remember that, like in 2016? But there were other times that Goldman, I think, was upper left or maybe middle, you know, top middle or whatever on the cover of the offering. And they had a hold or even a sell, I think, at one point on the company. They weren't whores. Yeah. The analyst the analyst in 2016, the guy who did that, he was fired or he left. I don't want to say he was fired. He was gone, you know, a few months later. And, like, that might have been excessive even for Goldman. But I think last night what this guy did was excessive even for Goldman. And look, I mean, the other thing is, I'm sure DJ Saul doesn't look at every research report that goes out before it goes out. That's not his job, you know? And I don't even know if the director of research does. I don't know how things work there, but, you know, somebody's head should roll for that because that is not in the long-term interests of Goldman Sachs to put out crap like that, you know? But anyway, so back, go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, yes and no. You, you can argue that it is. You can argue that it isn't. But I mean, it's going to be, it's gonna be a drop in the bucket in the in the future. Because well, even man, if Tesla goes, let's just say Tesla gets demolished, right, and the worst case scenario happens, there's going to be so many people to share in that humiliation that Goldman Sachs is it's not going to make a lick of a difference to their reputation in the long term. That's obviously, I, that's obviously what somebody there is thinking. You know, probably the boss – of this analyst, you know, because again, I doubt that I doubt that this worked its way up to DJ Saul. He's doing all kinds of stuff. But you're you're right. And but in fact, somebody posted today, um, maybe it was a retweet of um, Goldman Sachs upgraded Enron and said it was great, great, great. And he, this guy posted a report literally two months before Enron declared bankruptcy. Right. So yeah. that, didn't, you that know. didn't harm the reputation of the firm. Well, it, listen, it depends 
why they did it, you know? Maybe they had a legitimate argument. Maybe the guy thought Enron was great. I don't know what was going on back then. I just, I wasn't, I never really remember, followed Remember Enron. when they marched the Goldman Sachs analysts out in front of Congress after the housing yes. crisis? And they made I them, wish you hadn't put it in an email. They made, I mean, yeah, they, they made him read from the binder. You know, that was one yeah. shitty deal. You know, and no, yeah. nobody cared. And then we got over the, the financial crisis and then Goldman Sachs kept... Goldman Sachsing, doing what they do, which is being sharks. You're 100% right. Or my friend Kubiko often refers to them as the uh, real-life death star of finance. But, hey, <laughs> I own Goldman Sachs. You know why? Specifically for that reason. I right? know. I'm not know, running a fucking said. ESG fund over here. I, I want... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's what Kubiko says also. That's why he owns it. He wants, you know, he'll, he'll take whatever crumbs they don't they don't pay out to the managing directors and, and partners. Yeah, or yeah. But... But, you know, every time something like this happens, seriously, they, they chip away a little bit more at the reputation of the firm and a few more people say, I don't want to do business with those guys. I can tell you right now. I mean, seriously. Nobody says this, that. I, 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 there, I know people who say that. I can tell you right now. if I People ran, that are doing serious business with Goldman Sachs, that would make a material difference? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Listen. <laughs> <laughs> All right, look, I, I can tell you how I feel and, 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 you know, having nothing to do, you know, if I weren't, if I had no position in Tesla, but just observed the way this thing happened, if I knew enough about it, knew the company, if I were running, you know, enough money that, that they wanted to prime me, like if I were running, you know, several billion dollars or whatever, I would say, I, I would tell them I would just not do business with that firm. And I can't be the only person who would not do business with Goldman. I don't know. You know, look, whatever. Anyway, look, it's done. So anyway, so the point is it was taken out of context. Um, I'm suspended. And this wasn't like the, the scary thing is this wasn't like, you know, I've been suspended two other times where they one time, you know, delete this tweet and we're suspending you for 24 hours. You can still do direct messages and read, but you can't tweet. And then last time this happened, that happened to me for a week for a different reason. This time, there was none of that. It was just your account is suspended. Boom. <laughs> you might be toast now. You might be toast. I might be longer. toast. I might, I might be, yeah. I mean, all those witticisms, all those bone mows, all those bon mots lost in, in, the, in the, like, tears in the rain, if I may do a Blade Runner. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the pandemic's almost over, so you can't use the word flutard anymore, you know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you're one of those, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, we'll discuss that. We'll discuss that at length, and we'll hash that out definitely. But hey, I wanted to ask you if you saw what Chanos uh, said this morning. I'm going to read some of it to you here, and then I'll, I'll get your reaction. I did see it. Go ahead if you want to read it. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll just read it for the listeners too. This is from. Uh, I'm reading from Zero Hedge. Uh, one of the world's most well-known short sellers, Jim Chanos, said on Monday his Tesla short has been clearly painful for his firm. He has been skeptical of Tesla and Musk for years. The firm once had a 5% short position that has now been reduced to a smaller size, despite the fact that Chano still takes issue with the company's business model and valuation. He noted that the company's last five quarters of profits have been from the sale of regulatory credits, something we have expounded on in depth at Zero Hedge. It's been painful, clearly, Chanos said, when asked about what exactly the company is and, and how it should be valued, he replied, it's whatever people want to believe Elon Musk is touting. I've never met Elon Musk. I've never had a conversation with him, Chano said. He said if the two were ever to meet, he would tell Musk, job well done so far. 
Right. Well, obviously he's being facetious because that was in the that was in a broader context mm -hmm. of saying that this is a golden age of fraud. Right. Yeah, so, that is what he said. You know, I mean, he totally knows what the score is with Musk, and and that was sort of that would be a sarcastic comment, you know. But um, with the golden look, age of fraud, how long can the golden age of fraud continue, Mark? Uh, I, I think it can it continues. These things typically continue until the stocks you know, blow up and, and go down. And even if it's even if they blow up for an exogenous reason, and then, of course, the knives come out and how could you have allowed this and blah, 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 blah. Um, and so then we come to this sort of bigger macro picture, which is what blows up the stock market. And, right. what, I've, and what I've thought for a while, and I've been writing about it, is once we get some real inflation, um, you're going to get P.E. multiple like compression like you wouldn't believe right like all these stocks they call them high duration stocks because they have these massively high you know PE multiples based on mythical future earnings and that and they can only be that high because interest rates are so low well if we start getting some real inflation pop it's gonna be the same thing that happened what, on, is, on a what are the mechanics of that what what about what about price increases is going to help multiples contract right so the mechanics of that are, and you know this too, they've printed trillions of dollars of M2, right? right. Of, of, of newly printed money. But the velocity of that money, as like at least the last chart I looked at, has just fallen off a cliff right. during this pandemic. But once everybody's vaccinated or enough people are vaccinated and you know people are traveling and going out and moving around and you know some people are going back to their offices and just stuff is going on, obviously the economy's you know, gonna gonna pick up considerably, and the velocity of all that newly printed money is gonna pick up. And on top of that, you know, even if the Republicans hold the Senate, you're definitely gonna have you know Democrats who are more inclined to spending even more money than Trump, who was who was also terrible on deficits even before the whole pandemic. And of course, if the Democrats win the Senate, then forget it. Then we're then, as you know, it's gonna be some form of of MMT, right? So all this stuff. Is going to cause inflation to really pick up, and you know my guess is it starts to pick up like in the second half of 2021 and accelerates into 2022, and you know stocks and gold and whatever will start seeing that ahead of time, and you know when and when that happens, you're not going to have like you know like the trailing gap. You know you, people don't like to quote gap. The gap PE on both the Nasdaq and the S&P 500 is roughly 40, like 40x. And that includes, by the way, you know, the very good earnings of Q4-19, because that's in the trailing 12 months. And then, you know, Q1 of 20, at least the first half wasn't affected by the pandemic. So you can't say, oh, those were troth earnings we're looking at. No, I mean, they were like sort of in between kind of earnings. So that's what's, it, inflation is gonna pop this market. I don't know what, honestly, I don't know what would pop it before that, except, that it's such a bubble, right? I mean, you know, you can well, look what at any- about, What about inflation is gonna cause those multiples to contract? Well, inflation will cause interest rates to go up. Even if the Fed Got holds interest, even if the Fed holds interest rates down, like real world rates will start going up. Right. You know, like, Bonds you know, will you'll sell come off. to me for, you know, you'll, you'll, you know, you'll wanna buy my house or, or you know, and, and, I'll, and I'll give you a mortgage on the house called a purchase money mortgage, let's say, just as an example. And you'll say to me, well, the 10 year treasury is yielding, you know, 1%. So, you know, I'll give you 2%. I'm like, no, no, that's, that's a bullshit number, that treasury. Here in the real world, I want 6% or whatever. I mean, that's the kind of thing that's going to happen where real world rates will go up and those create alternatives 
for stocks with PEs of 40 Got or, it. you know, in the case of Tesla, 400. So you think bonds will just sell off on their own then? Well, yeah. Now, look, treasuries uh, may or may not initially sell off. I mean, the Fed, obviously, the, the you know, and look, all, your other guests talk about this all the time, I'm sure. But, you know, the Fed will keep printing and buying to hold down treasury rates as much as it possibly can. But, you know, that's not going to hold down corporates. You know, in the real world, where, where there's actually, you know, real world buyers and sellers, interest rates are going to go up and that creates alternatives to insanely priced stocks. Which, by the way, as I started to say, I think the S&P 500 right now is the highest level ever on price to sales. Yes. And I saw a chart this morning that it's higher than, than 1929 on the Case-Shiller you know, um, the Cape, the sort of the trailing PE, the only time it was a little bit higher was in, in 2000. Um, you know, you can look at under any metric. Um, what's his name? He's very good. Um, um, the guy who's always talking about, you know, buy gold, sell stocks, Octavio or Tavi, Tavi Costa. He posted a chart a few weeks ago on, on Twitter where like S&P 500 valuation is somewhere between the 95th and 100th percentile on every metric possibly used. So, I mean, it's crazy. So what I, what I started to say was, if we don't, you know, if it's not the inflation that comes, you know, maybe back half of next year, and, and by the way, you know, gold will sniff that out ahead of time, I think, at least by a few months, and maybe stocks too. If it's not that, this, this thing is so thinly stretched that, um, that a lot of exogenous events could do it. You know, let's say, let's say we wake up tomorrow morning or we wake up January, you know, 30th, and it's President Harris, right? And not President Biden. Well, you know, who was, you know, a socialist and a, and a big spender and not, not the kind of middle of the road guy that Biden is, who's albeit getting pulled to the left. And, and like, you know, if, if you've got a PE of 40, President Harris fucking makes the market instantly drop 20%, right? And, and over time, maybe 30 or 35%, who knows? If you started with a more reasonable PE, of you know 22 or 23, which is sort of a reasonable gap trailing PE, and you get President Harris, you know maybe you drop to an 18x from a 22x. There is no there is no margin for error the way valuations are stre stretched now. There's no room for that kind of exogenous effect. Obviously, a war that's that's you know if it's any kind of a meaningful war, that's another thing. But you know it's like the, the thinner the walls of the bubble because it gets you know stretched out bigger and bigger and bigger. The, the easier it is to pop it, right? And something that might not have much effect, it, you know, in trough valuations can can put you in trough valuations very quickly. Yeah, and I guess the counter argument is we're just doing so much QE. There's just an unprecedented amount of central bank support now that it's just going to hold stocks at these valuations. Well, but it won't hold stocks at these valuations if there are alternatives, right? So... You know, it's. I mean, it's if like, we see the inflation that you're talking about, which is the velocity picks up and this money starts to move around a little bit more, I mean, that's that'll go just as far in bidding up uh, stocks, won't it? As no, no. See, see, it won't because you know, eventually you get higher nominal revenue and higher nominal earnings, right? Right. But first, but first, you PEs pop long before you know. Long before your revenue and earnings are three or four percent or five percent higher nominally, your PE goes from forty to twenty. You know, this is what happened. If you look at the 1970s, 
when, you know, inflation really kicked in really, really bad. You know, you know, the whole story. It got so bad that yeah. that Reagan brought in Volcker, who just said, fuck it, this is enough. And he and he, you know, raised raised Fed funds to the, you know, to, to the choking point and killed the inflation. Right. And then then we had this boom forever and this, you know, whatever, 40 year bull bond market after that or whatever. You know, so obviously starting from very high interest rates, it was a lot easier to have a you know, a bull bond market as they came down. But anyway, so what happened in the 1970s was, you know, I think it was between 73 and 74 that PEs, and obviously they were lower levels then because rates were higher, but PEs like were instantly cut from like 18X, you know, to like 10X or 11X, something like that in a year. And you had like, I think it's the first half or so of the 70s when you had just a continual bear, grinding bear market in stocks as PEs went down, 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 and stocks were crushed. And then you reached a point where um, multiples were stuck at sort of this um, like mid-single digit or high single digit level, like 8x, 9x. And so you're at 8x or 9x. But then because of inflation, nominal earnings started climbing. So, you know, all of a sudden your stock that was nine times ten dollars in earnings last year this year it's nine times eleven dollars in earnings so your stock goes up ten percent okay but first we have to get the instant pop of pe multiples you know before we can gradually get higher prices at much lower multiples based on higher nominal earnings does yeah, that make sense I just, yeah it does but i think that the analog to the 70s is not may not be appropriate because we have electronic trading now and we have the central bank intervening in the markets now in many ways that we thought were probably unfathomable then. And I would say that there's probably a second side to the coin that we don't know about that they are using to intervene with the markets now, for instance, and I'm not saying that they're doing this. But nowadays, one of the things you can do is you can manipulate the price of an index ETF like the SPY or the S&P futures. And that automatically, electronically, will put a bid under stocks. Um, that's, you know, kind of tail wagging the dog type stuff that was never even a thought in anybody's head in the 70s and certainly wasn't possible in the 70s. And if there's one thing that the Fed has made clear over the last 20 years to me, it's that the stock market is really their only mandate. And I, I think that the the gig uh the jig is up rather in terms of them trying to hide the fact that their sole goal is to support the stock market and now you have yellen coming on uh who will be with biden and who will be uh, ostensibly with powell and i just i don't know if the rules of the game are the same as they were in the right. 70s so i don't think uh i don't think that the fed is buying S&P futures. I think the but it, Fed... But, Mark, if the, if the market pulls back 10%, you don't think that the Fed is going to use that as an excuse to take extraordinary measures like buy ETFs, buy stocks, buy futures? Well... If, if they're not well, already doing that, they will Okay, so... It. First, yeah, first, I don't think they're already doing that. It, it would be... Well, they're buying bond ETFs. I mean, how much closer do you want to get? Well, very little of that, by the way. What I mean, do you mean? that basically... Well, they, they didn't buy much of it. It basically became a it basically became a backstop for the market. And then the market right. went out and bought the By bond buying ETFs. bond ETFs, right? Yeah, but 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 so, so they're, so they're buying ETFs. 
Well, I don't know why, but somehow that was legal and it's not legal to buy stocks. I mean, you know, Yellen, Powell have, have explicitly said they need an act of Congress to be able to buy stocks. You believe and by the way, that? Yeah, I do believe that. I, I believe stocks are going up because of the Fed printing, but it's because they print so much money and like, hey, if, the, if, if, I, if I have a bond to sell and I was going to sell it to you and you buy my bond instead of buying stocks with that money, well, now the Fed just newly created money to buy my bond. And now you and you have your money. And instead of buying my bond, you're buying stocks. Yeah, I mean, that's you, don't, sort you don't have to buy individual stocks. Do you know how thin the line is between buying a JNK, which is a corporate junk bond ETF, and the line between that and buying SPY, which is an S&P 500 ETF? So, Do you know how thin that line is? Yeah, no, look, so, so here, but here's the point, like, um, um, if th there will be alternatives. If Look, if the Fed buys stuff to keep down interest rates in an inflationary environment, there will be alternative places for people to put their money. The Fed will basically have to own the whole stock market because yeah. the non-Fed will be like, hey, I'm going to buy commodities. You know, I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to do, you know, high yield debt because inflation's running at 5% or whatever it is, you know, in 2023 or whatever. So, look, I don't know. I mean, look, your point is a fair point. Has the, Fed, it, has the Fed any time in the last three decades, Mark, given you any semblance of an idea that they have any thought processes other than just buy more things, print more money? Um, no, but for the last so three what, decades. So then, so then, what's the next iteration from where we are today? In the QE we launched in March, be, because for the last three decades we've had a a bull market in bonds. I mean, the, the Fed had a tailwind, whether or not they were buying, they sort of had a tailwind going, right? So, but you know, there was inflation wasn't a problem. So, but in, once inflation's a problem. And then the Fed will start, you know, worrying. And look, we don't know. Look, we've talked about this a million times. Yeah, they're backed into a corner <laughs> because, you know, if they don't keep buying, then then interest rates go up and then the government debt becomes untenable. Right. But of course, meanwhile, by holding art rates artificially low, they're just allowing more debt. Right They're, You know, because the government's, oh, we're only paying, you know, you know, one percent a year. Well, we can rack up the deficit this year. Right. So, yeah, look, I mean, look, it's the reason why. We all own gold, you know, and, and, you know, you and I got, we didn't get into it. We talked a little bit, I, you know, Peter Schiff's name came up last week when I had my, my old Twitter account. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and, and, and what I said is, you know, everything Schiff says big picture is correct. And in the long run, he's right. But, and so I, and so I don't mean this with any disrespect for him because I, I think he's right. But, you know, Schiff is one of these gold bugs who like, it's and, and, you know, to some extent, you've been this way, although you haven't been vocal about it lately. It's like it's never a bad time to buy gold. Never, never. It is. Gold is just. But that's not true. Gold is just another asset class. Right. And gold can get ahead of itself. And, you know, let's say gold were a thousand dollars an ounce. What's that? What's your time horizon? I mean, I addressed this on the last podcast I did by myself. I talked about our conversation we had about this. I mean, if you're of the. If you look at a chart of M2 versus gold, and that's what you're using as your gauge, and you have a multi-decade outlook on gold, and you believe it to be significantly undervalued uh, in relation to the amount of money that we've printed, it is a fair statement to say that there's never a bad time to buy gold. No, I'll tell you why it's not a fair statement. Because, you know, I don't remember the numbers offhand, and I didn't prepare them ahead of time. I hadn't thought about doing it. I should have for the show. But let's just say let's just say hypothetically that 
that 10 years ago gold was $1,000 an ounce and it had been there for a while. And let's say we've, you know, let's say in the last 10 years, you know, prices are up 20%. I'm pulling numbers totally out of my ass, right. okay? So, you know, look, gold, the purpose of gold is, 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 is you know, as an alternative to money, the purpose of gold is not to make, not to increase your buying power on gold, right? It's it's to maintain Preserve your buying, right? Preserve your it conserve, It's to maintain your buying power. Now, what happens is you have really fun, frenzied markets in gold every once in a while, like in the '80s, and you know, like anything else. And then all of a sudden, becomes it, it becomes gold becomes its own Bitcoin in a way. Obviously, you know, it's not Bitcoin, but but. You know, so my point is, let's say gold was a thousand dollars an ounce ten years ago, and we've had a twenty percent increase in inflation since then. And I'm completely making these numbers up, okay? Well, in theory, today, right now, gold should be twelve hundred dollars an ounce. I'm just purely theoretically. Sure. Plus, plus, you know, maybe the discounted value of however much inflation we're going to have going forward, discounting back in today, and you and you build that into the twelve hundred. And I don't know what that number is, but let's say that number. Should say gold should be. I mean, right now today, you know, fifteen hundred dollars. You know, and then it, and then it can go up five percent or whatever. Well, if gold were two thousand dollars today, gold just got ahead of itself by five hundred dollars an ounce. And gold can get ahead of itself. And and one could even argue, and I don't argue this. I mean, I recently bought more gold. One could argue gold is ahead of itself now if you use like traditional metrics, like you know, gold to oil and. It's sort of inline average gold to the S&P, you know, or whatever. So gold can get ahead of itself. People can go crazy and speculative. And I've never heard, and forgive me, and I apologize to Peter. He's not going to hear this anyway if I'm wrong about this. But I've never heard Peter say, hey, gold's going to be worth a lot more in 10 years. But right now it's a little bit of ahead of itself. You know, you can cool off and wait for it to come in a little bit or wait for inflation to catch up a little bit. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, but if you're of the mindset that it has never really reached where it's supposed to be going to begin Yeah, but with, it has. It well, has. How, how do you I mean, know that? You don't know that. Well, if you, but there are various metrics you can look at. You can look at gold to oil, where it's way ahead of itself. Now, you could say, well, there's a secular change in oil because we're all going to drive electric cars. Everything comes back to Tesla, right? Because <laughs> so we're going to drive electric cars. So, okay, well, that's possible, but it, it, it isn't happening that fast. And, you first know, the off, gold to oil, yeah. Well, first off, the price of oil is rigged. That's the first thing you got to point out there. I mean, the, the, the OPEC controls the price of oil. So oil is not where it would be if a if the supply of oil was unleashed and the free market had its way to well, buy as much oil as it that's, that's, well, that's the first point. Go well, ahead. we've got fracking, though. I mean, you know, so OPEC doesn't really control it anymore. They try to control it, but go ahead. Well, I've heard Peter Schiff say many times, you know, hey, if we get to 5,000 or we get to 3,000, that's not to say I won't take some off the table, um, you know, and things like, oh, I trade around, you know, core positions and stuff like that. Okay, and I haven't I, heard him say that. And I, I, well, you should listen to his podcast more often. I mean, he, he has said on more than one occasion that, you know, and listen, this is not to say, too, and I said this on my last podcast, Mark, and if I woke up tomorrow and gold was at $3,000 an ounce, I mean, you don't think I would pare down my positions? You know, you don't think I would pare down okay. my gold positions and say, oh, shit, okay. you know, I'd take off 75% of probably what I had. Uh, would I be out there right. selling my physical <clears throat> bullion? Of course not. But would I would I take down some of my positions and gold miners and things like that? Yeah, of course. Of course. I mean, it all depends on what type of time scale you want to look at this. Well, I mean, but, we so had this look, discussion about the GLD 
uh, over the last couple of months where you're saying, oh, well, I'm buying it. I'm buying it at, you know, 170. I'm selling it at 190. I'm waiting for it to, you know, uh, there's there's resistance at 200. I'll wait for it to come back down to 178 and then I'll sell it, you know, at 188. And I'm just like, fuck me. I think it's going to be at 250 or 300 in five or 10 years. So I'm just buying it now. All right, I'm going to pull up an example right now for you, which is kind of a point I'm making. I just pulled up a really long-term uh, chart of gold, right? Okay. So gold was pretty stable. If you look at, like, <clears throat> you know, starting around, let's say, November of 97, gold traded averaged around $300 an ounce, okay? November and, of 97? <clears throat> yeah, and then all the way up until looks like looks like it's in the 500s. Are you looking at an inflation adjusted chart or a uh, no, non-inflation? No, no, I'm just no, I'm just looking at the price of gold. Okay, so hang on, let's get on the same page here. So we're talking about November of 97. Okay, so you're right. You're about $300 an ounce. All right. And then skip skip all the way up to uh, to September of of 02. So like 5 years later. Ballpark right. same thing, around right. $300 an ounce. That's right. Okay. So here's the point I'm making. Okay. That was five years of stability in the price of gold. Okay. Long enough to say, you know, it wasn't spiking, it wasn't tanking. You know, gold was probably worth around $300 then. I mean, this is my rationale, okay? When something bases out for a while. Well, you're just saying, well, you're just saying that because that's the price that the market assigns to it, that it's right? You think there's an efficient market hypothesis in gold? Well, I don't, listen. This is just one way to look at it. Again, you can use you can use gold to the S and P. You can use gold to oil, where where it, gold is very expensive historically compared to oil, and it's roughly in line with the S and P. It's not really cheap or expensive. But, but just to use this as an example, I mean, because you got to pick a point somewhere, and I'll let you pick your point. But if but if I said to you, hey, gold spent five years trading at around three hundred dollars, okay, up until two thousand two, and now gold is eighteen hundred and forty four dollars. So gold is like six times where it was um, 18 years ago or whatever. Are you with me? Yeah, I'm with you. Okay. So now if I go to an inflation calculator and I and, – and this uses CPI, but it doesn't matter. We can, we can use anything. But just to use CPI as an example, if, if, I, if I do this and I say, okay, you know, $1,000 let's – wait, I'm sorry. We're talking about $300. So $300 – in in November, I'm punching this up. There's an online inflation calculator. November uh, 97, or let's or you know, let, let's say November 97. I can make it 2002, but it's more generous to say 97. To today, $300 is worth in, in CPI, $484. Now, if you said to me, well, CPI understates inflation by 50% or whatever, I'd say okay. Let's say it's 600 or $700. So depending on your starting point. You could argue that gold is overvalued by 150 or 200 percent right now. Yeah, and you could also argue that you know if you're looking at the gold to M2 ratio, which was around three and a half for uh, most of the time that we were on the gold standard. Uh, leading- well, you can't look at the gold standard because gold was artificially held back. But you're but what what's what is gold to M2 averaged since gold was you know deregulated or whatever they call it, freed up. Uh, well, it's really over the last, let's see, over the last 20 years, it's been between 0.4, it got as high as 1, it got as low as 0.28, I think, and right now it's about 0.3 or 0.4, 
back in the 20s and the 30s, it was at, you know, three and a half to one. So, I mean, if you wanted to use that as a ratio, yeah, you, you can't use that. the 20s and the 30s because the price of gold because the price of gold was regulated then, wasn't it? When did they deregulate the price of gold? When did they free the price of gold? Who, yeah, but who, who regulates the price of gold in relation to the money supply, though? Yeah, no, you can't do that. You have to look at when did gold become free trading? I well, forget, I'm honest. making the same argument about oil. What do you mean? In the sense that oil, the price of oil is being controlled. The price of oil is no, fixed. No, it's not controlled. There's, there's the price of oil is not controlled. You're telling me the price of oil isn't fixed? One, yeah, because once oil gets over 50 bucks, the frackers come back online again, at, at least until Biden uh, bans them. Yeah, <laughs> so. but you don't think the Saudis, if they wanted to wake up tomorrow and Prince uh, Abdulaziz, you know, decided that, well, today's the day that I just fucking shoot my shot. You know, I went down to the bar at the Hotel Abu Dhabi last night and I talked <laughs> to a woman and she wouldn't touch my pecker. And so I'm just going to unleash it on the world this morning. We're opening up the spigots. Here comes the oil, well, of course, motherfuckers. Gold would plunge. Right. Gold would plunge. Yeah, okay, so then, so then tell me how I'm that is not, tell me how that, sorry, tell me how that's not a fixed price in oil. Um, yeah, but the point is, oil can't get too high anymore because of the excess fracking capacity. That's what I'm saying. I'm not saying that he couldn't tank it into the toilet. He could. But I think it's pretty reasonable. Gold right now is like 45 bucks. That's probably pretty close to a free trading price. Because if it got to 50, the frackers, I assume, would turn on the spigots and they'd cap it at 50. Or they might drive it back down again, you know, because they'd all turn on the spigots at once. So I think gold is probably pretty close to a fair market price here at 45. I, I you know, I don't, I don't think OPEC could kill it, but, um, but they couldn't, they couldn't get it higher, is what I'm saying. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. I'm just okay. saying I don't know how you use a gold to oil ratio when, when I don't, gold, listen, that's one gold thing. is being priced in gold, gold is being priced in dollars, which are being manipulated by the central banks, and oil is being controlled I, by. The Saudis and but, OPEC. But oil's, oil's not controlled. I agree with you about stocks. But the thing is, if stocks should be a lot lower, then that would mean gold should be a lot lower. I mean, the fact that the fact that they're ramming up stock prices is favorable to the gold S&P ratio, right? The lower stock, the lower the level of stock prices are, if you're going to keep the ratio right, the lower the price of gold would have to be. So I'm just saying that, and look, I'm a guy, I own a lot of gold. I own a lot of GLD, right? I, you know, I had cut it back as we talked about, but I reloaded it pretty much as big as ever at, at 169, 170 last week or two weeks ago, whenever that was. Well, why would you do so, that if you think it's fairly valued now? I'll tell you why, because I think psychologically it's going to have a hell of a run. Um, but I, but I, think it's, I think it's probably, you know, if, for, if you could use the word fundamentally in gold in the same sentence, I think fundamentally it's probably fairly valued and maybe a little bit ahead of itself here. But but I think but that- But you're buying. Like, what's that? But you're buying. Well, I'm, I bought, I'm not, I'm not adding more. But yeah, I have a big position because I think psychologically- Yeah, but you just that, bought, you just bought last week, right? Yes, I, I think psychologically, look, I'm being a little bit of a wise guy. I'm being a little cute. I think psychologically the Fed puts a floor under gold. But I think if you were to say to me, well, you know, how many ounces of gold, uh, you know, will it take to buy, um, you know, a new suit or whatever? That was the old. They used to say, well, right. for, for 5,000 years, an ounce of gold bought a nice new men's suit. Right. Um, I, I think that um, I think that gold fundamentally that way in the suit ratio or the oil ratio, everything gold probably ahead of itself now. So I think I think, 
you know, if Peter Schiff, and again, look, I'm not telling, look, Peter's, you know, got a good business and whatever, and he seems like a good guy. And again, fundamentally, I agree with him in the long term. But I think somebody, anybody who's touting gold should point out that, listen, you could argue that right here, gold is pretty fully valued. So, you know, you should have whatever percentage of your portfolio you want dedicated to it. But I wouldn't go crazy on gold here. You know, if, if gold, I wouldn't, I wouldn't down, argue that there's nothing yeah. in the Fed's trajectory going forward that leads me to believe that they're going to stop printing money. Oh, I agree totally. But the question is, you know, do, how much do you think that that drives the price of gold? Well, look, I mean, actually, real interest rates drive the price of gold, right? So when real interest rates go negative, gold goes up. That seems to be like a pretty solid relationship. And, and, and when inflation picks up and the Fed holds rates down, real interest rates are going to become increasingly negative, and that'll benefit gold. You don't, think, that's you don't think the increase in the money supply drives the price of gold in dollars? Um, no, I think gold plays off of real interest rates. So to, it's you, like, to, to you, it does not matter how much money we print. That will not change the price of gold well, in of dollars. Course it, no, of course it matters because that will create inflation. If we printed all that money and had no inflation and, and real interest rates were positive, then gold would not move at all. Right. Well, that is the inflation, though. The printing is the inflation. No, well, I don't mean inflation that way. Again, People look at gold as a way to maintain buying power, maintain right. wealth, whatever, right? So purchasing if people power. are like purchasing power. So people are like, I'm not worried about my dollar, you know, buying fewer candy bars. They're not going to see an urgency to own gold. And the and the problem now, the reason why gold is kind of treading water here after having made a good move earlier this year, is CPI went back to zero, you know, and, and people are just not worried about inflation and they're not looking forward. Now you know, the reason I own gold is I think there's a pretty good floor under it here because of all that Fed printing. But um, I, I'm not saying it's going to move tomorrow. I don't think gold is really going to move until people start fearing inflation again. And I think that happens, you know, sometime next year if the inflation starts kicking in middle to late next year, maybe gold runs starts running a few months ahead of that. But again, circling back, somebody could say, well, gold has already got priced in the next 30 percent you know, of, of price level inflation. And I could not argue with that. I couldn't tell you certain, I couldn't tell you for sure that that's wrong. You, so I'm just, I'm just, I'm just asking anybody who owns gold. And again, I'm a guy who owns a lot of it. Okay. To be cognizant of the fact that it's possible for gold to get ahead of itself relative to realized inflation. That's all I'm saying. And, and, you know, and if gold, you know, if gold went up 50% next month, you, you know, if gold went up 30% next month and, and nothing else changed but what we know today, take some off the table because it's going to take, you know, five years, six years, seven years, whatever, to get 30% inflation in terms of buying power of the dollar. That's all I'm saying. So do you agree that the addition of money to the money stock causes a dilution of purchasing power? Eventually. Okay. When you get when you get velocity. But if you you know, look, look what happened recently. You added all this stuff to the money stock, but the velocity, yeah, the velocity came plunged, down. Right? And 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 the actual, you know, last month we printed I, I think it was zero point zero 
you know, core CPI. And again, look, I don't want to get into an argument. Well, that understates this and hedonics. Okay, I don't care. Pick a number. Say it. Say it was really, <laughs> you know, say it was really twice as bad. Well, two times zero is still zero, but let's pretend it was 0.2 and it was should have been 0.4. Whatever. I'm just saying, like, you know, it, it, it's like until you get some velocity, there's no urgency to own gold. And if you buy gold now, you are building in a lot of inflation. But for you to make money on your gold, you need the rest of the market, all those non-gold bugs, all those non-gold owners. Those are the people who need to get spooked about inflation. Until they're spooked about inflation, this gold is just trading back and forth between you, me, Peter Schiff, and you know, and and um, JP Bill Morgan. You know, Bill Flackenstein and J.P. Morgan, right? I mean, I'm just thinking of like the guys, the fa not me, the famous guys on gold. And so, but you know, Fleck on, see, Fleck understands this and he talks about this. I have huge respect for him. I've never met him, but um, you know, I've heard him obviously on your podcast and stuff. I mean, he recognizes this stuff. And you know, I've spoken to some, some I know some fund managers, like well-known fund managers who are stock guys but they've got, they are gold bugs at heart and they've got X amount of their portfolio in gold no matter what and they can't understand why it's not going up every day. And then I've spoken to other very wealthy, you know, you've heard of them successful guys who are like, hey man, gold's an asset class like anything else. There's a time to buy it, a time to sell it, a time to double down on it, whatever. And these guys seem to feel that, that the, that kind of guy seem to feel the time now is to make sure you have some, but it's not ready to go crazy yet. And that's kind of the camp that I'm in. Okay. For all, the, for all the reasons I'm giving you. Okay. Well, you said before, look, it's going to run when everybody realizes that inflation's a problem. Yes. Everybody looks at inflation by looking at prices, right? They look at the CPI. They look at prices on a daily basis, whatever. They look at a basket of goods. And so if they're mistaken and the real inflation comes from the expansion of the money supply and we're just waiting on velocity, I mean, wouldn't now be the time to buy? If you know, wouldn't that be the horses lining well, up at the gate and, depends, and the velocity would be the gate opening? It depends what your opinion is on when the velocity is going to accelerate. Well, you're buying gold last week. So what's your opinion on when it's going to accelerate? Uh, you know, second half of next year. But but the market may start sniffing that out sooner. So I want to have it. <laughs> and, 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 that was the most and, politician answer I've ever heard. Second, no, no, but that's second not, half of next year, but maybe but, sooner, maybe any time before that. No, 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 no. I'll be more specific. Second half of next year, and and in most, in all likelihood, the market will start sniffing that out a few months before that. But I think that I think the just the way like all these bubble market stock jockeys think the Fed has their back on stocks. I think the Fed inadvertently and not intentionally has my back on gold, so I'm I'm comfortable holding it in case I'm wrong and the inflation kicks in sooner. Yeah. You know? I, but by well, the way, I agree with that. I just think that you know the argument that we were having on Twitter was over this ticky tacky buying and selling GLD every five, ten, and we, me and you are on an email chain together, so we email each other once in a while about this too. You know, this kind of ticky-tacky, you know, I'm selling at 190 so I can buy back in at 179. There's resistance at 187, so I'm buying the support at 182. And it's just, you know, I'm just not day trading gold. And so I think that that's, I think we're just looking at it from two completely different perspectives. Well, so first of all, I would call it more like swing trading gold because this was like a multi-week uh, process, and I always had, <laughs> and I always had a, I always had a core position in gold, and then I was like, 
adding to that core and, and taking away from that core. But, you know, it's like real money. I mean, it's like even for me, who's a small guy, you know, we're talking about a difference of we're talking about a six figure difference in money by by what I'm doing with that position, you know. So it's worth doing it. If I see gold, if, if, if I look at a gold chart and I see that this thing is breaking down and there's no support to until the high 160s, low 170s, which is what I did see, and the stock is 180 and gold is 180 GLD. Right. I'm like, I'm like, I don't, I don't feel obligated to hold this down so for the trade, next 10 you points. So you trade around a core position? Yes. Okay, but you always yes. have a core position. Yes. Okay. Oh yeah. I so what? I didn't so if I position. say there's never there's never a bad time to buy gold, and you own it that whole time, really, what's the difference? The difference is why do you have uh, a core position? Okay, let me back up. There's never a bad. Well, there could be a bad time to own gold, but right now, in, within this you know multi-month period, I don't think it's at all bad to own some gold, and I think it's good to own some gold. That's different from. There's never a bad time to buy gold. It depends well, on what you Well, obviously, if it goes to $100,000 an ounce, <clears throat> you know, people aren't going to be out there saying, oh, it's definitely a buy. If we woke up tomorrow and it 20 x tomorrow, when we woke up tomorrow, it was at $10,000 an ounce. People aren't going to be like, yeah, you know. Yeah, but I'm, but I'm telling you, if it goes up 20% tomorrow, it could theoretically be five years ahead of itself. I'm just, I'm just saying that you should consider that. You should put it in the context of, how much stuff can I buy for my ounce of gold? Because there's two, as far as I'm concerned, there's two components to gold. There's, there's the real reason to have it, which is how much stuff can I buy for my ounce of gold and how much more gold is it going to take to buy that same basket of stuff? And that is not changing anywhere as much as the price of gold changes. So then the other component is the speculative aspect of it. Oh, yeah, all those schmucks out there with their Bitcoin – once they start smelling real inflation, they're going to come over here and buy some gold, too. Or if they don't, some other group of people will, right? And that's where you get the real juice in gold. Because, you know, if you look at these charts of gold, when it went, like, what was it, in the 80s, when it went from, like, the 200s to the 800s in, like, a few months or something crazy like that here. Yeah. It, went, it, it went from, a, so it was a, not a few months, but it was $100 in August of 76. And, and it, it went to 900. At, and it peaked at 873. In, in, in January of 80. So in three and a half years, right, it went, uh, it went almost 9x. You didn't get 9x inflation in three and a half years. You had a speculative bubble that went insane, right? So yeah, that's all I'm saying. Like, that's, that's when it's fun. Do you but think you can't? Do you, yeah. do you think that these central banks and with all this digital currency that they're proposing, which we both know is inevitable, do you think there's going to come a point where the monetary uh, system just breaks down and someone somewhere is going to reintroduce a gold standard? No, that'll never happen. Well, okay, so there, there, there's a huge fundamental difference between me and you. Because if you listen to guys like Jim Rickards or you listen to guys like Schiff, you know, a big part of their argument is, and the reason that, you know, Jim Rickards and these guys can forecast uh, $10,000, $15,000, even George Gammon makes the, the argument for, you know, $25,000, $50,000 an ounce gold is because they believe there's going to be a global monetary reset that eventually winds up winds up being forced to use gold as a standard again. And I see that happening too. And so maybe in the, you know, in our long-term outlook, we we Listen, let me ask you a question. Sure. Let's just say let's just say and and again, I think I'm being very generous here, but let's just say hypothetically that in terms of the basket of goods an ounce of gold could buy 
that gold is fairly valued right here for, you know, at $1,800. Let's just say that for today, okay. right? All right. Do you realize how much fucking inflation you need to, to make that basket cost we, we $30,000? Yeah, but we just printed 40% more. We printed more money so you this tell me. year. Okay, we printed fine. more money this year than we have, I think, ever printed prior to this year or on a par of so, so, 50%, some so enormous sum great. of money. So, let me, so let, you, me hear your, let me hear your, give me your prediction for... I'm going to call it core CPI, but I don't care what you call it. Call it core CPI without the hedonics. I don't give a shit. Okay, you know it's it's if if, if core CPI is two percent, then the then the core CPI without the hedonics. Well, what do you is think inflation really is now? Not you know ignoring oh, wait, wait, the CPI wait. number. Wait, let me ask you this question. So right now CPI is zero. What? Give me give me your number for core CPI or. Call it core buying power or whatever you want to call it if you don't like CPI. But don't give me don't tell me CPI understates inflation, you know, by by nine X. Don't give me something crazy. If you want to tell me nine like, X really or nine percent. No, I'm saying if you want to tell me that it's really, you know, things are really 20 percent more expensive than that tells you tells me fine. What do you think? Inf what do you think the rate of inflation, the rate of degradation of the buying power you know, of, a, of the dollar is going to be in? 2021, 2022, 2023, 2024, 2025. Give me, give me that. As, you know, as reported, by, by, as reported by the government, or what I actually think it is. But this is what I'm telling you. How, I mean, it's not I'm, that. Well, I'm different. asking you. Do, do you want? Well, it is different. I mean, it, you it's see, slightly different. It's if, if if the government said when course, you back out again, not just the hedonic adjustments and the things like healthcare costs that don't go into CPI, and then you look at. You know, some of these items that wind up, I talk about shrinkflation all the time. You know, your your four ninety nine that used to buy you eight ounces of chips now buys you no, seven that's, ounces. No, that's, that's, um, that's accounted for. Look, core, core CPI was, was running a steady, I think it was like 2.2% before this whole um, – before this whole craziness happened. Now the Fed looks at the Fed uses a core PCE, right, which tends to run about half a percent lower because obviously they like it lower. But core CPI was call it around 2.2 coming into the pandemic, right? What do you think it really was? 2.8? Okay, I don't care, but don't tell me it was nine. That's all I'm saying. So, so let's say let's say you think actual. CPI, you know, the real whatever you'd call your CPI, let's say it's half a percent a year worse than than the core CPI from the government. Um, give me that number. What do you think that number is going to be realistically in, in each of the next nine years? Ballpark, because or I can just tell you the point I'm making. You're not going to get anywhere fucking close to thirty thousand dollar gold if gold is priced right now at eighteen hundred. That's all I'm saying. I'm not talking about next year, and I'm not talking about 2022. Ten years. I'm not talking about 20. Well, what are, what are you asking me? What do I think the actual rate of inflation is that, that outside of the CPI? Well, we can start with that. What do you think the actual rate of inflation is? I mean, when I, see, when I see prices go up, when I see prices go up in consumer goods every year, for example, bars that I go to that raise their prices every year, I notice those prices because I know what I paid for a Bud Light last year and I know what I paid for a Bud Light this year. My condo association fees, I know what I paid last year and I know what I pay this year. So I'm very cognizant of, you know, things like that. I'm, I'm obviously not looking at every single fucking thing that the CPI is looking at, but to me, 5% to 10% per annum doesn't seem absolutely insane. 
I mean, right. when, when I look at my health care costs, when I look at the cost of what my health care plan runs, every year they try to keep my price the same and lower the amount of benefits that I get. If I look to see if I can keep the same plan with the same benefits, the same co-pays, the same deductibles, the same prescription costs, and the same maximum out of pocket, that usually is 5 to 10% higher than what it was the year prior. So... I don't think it's insane to say that prices are rising a lot quicker than the CPI. And you just said they have a vested interest in making sure that number is as low as possible. Yeah, but 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 that's PCE. Core, you know, core CPI runs half a percent higher than PCE. I can tell you that a box of shredded wheat today, because I have that for breakfast every day, is like cheaper than it was 10 years ago. OK, I can tell you that that, you know, every year. They tend to raise, you know, a, a, you know, you can call it hedonics, but adjusted for the extra equipment, some of which is mandated. You know, they tend to raise the price of a of a thirty thousand dollar Chevy by, you know, eight hundred dollars, you know, the next year. So what I'm saying is, you're you're calling out the price of a drink in a bar, and I could call out and my healthcare that. costs and my condo association costs. Well, health, but healthcare, I think, has been, and I'm no expert on CPI or inflation, but. Healthcare, I think, has been like a major, major problem. But like, right, I can tell you right now, the price of renting an apartment in New York City is down like 30% from a year ago. Well, of course it is now. Of course it is now because of the pandemic. I mean, they, they, they talk about cherry picking. An oh, okay. So, We're so, talking okay, about fine. decades and you're talking right, about so the biggest housing crash from the most expensive housing market in the United uh, States during the uh, middle okay, of the pandemic. Okay, but here's what I'm asking you. So how rapidly is it going to climb from here? Because that's what I'm talking about. All that matters is going forward, right? How much is the price of housing in New York City or, or major urban areas going to climb going forward? You know, how much is the price of, of a new Chevy going to climb going forward? How much is the price of a box of straight wheat going? I'm telling you, whatever that number is, if, if, if gold buys you $1,800 worth of stuff today, it is not going to take uh, $30,000 to buy that same box of stuff uh, 10 years from now. That's why I'm saying these people who are like, I'm not, oh, I'm not arguing go for 30,000 gold 10 years from now. That's not what I'm arguing. Well, wh where do you think gold's going to be 10 years from now? If it's 1,800 today? I would say 5,000, 7,000. Well, okay. So you're telling me that assuming- I mean, I really, I, look, I don't know. All I know is- But you, but see, but you need to think, you should, I don't, I don't mean to say you need to. You should think about these things when you're figuring out whether gold whether gold is priced right or not today i don't need to think about it the only thing i need to think about is whether or not the money supply is going to continue to grow velocity no. or no velocity and whether or not i have any confidence in the global central banking model at all and the, the answer the to those questions are yes and no and that's the only that's the only thing i need to know no but 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 again it doesn't matter what happens with the money supply and if it's not reflected in prices so so if the money supply keeps going up, but velocity, you know, keeps going down or, or velocity grows a tiny bit or whatever. That's like you know, saying the saying. fully diluted share count to a company doesn't matter because uh, it, because. No, no it, what I'm saying is outside of speculative fever, which is a very fun and perfectly legitimate reason to own gold if you catch it at the right time. The purpose of, of, of holding an ounce of gold in your hand and keeping that gold is that you can always buy the it's, same amount of stuff right, with that ounce right, of gold, right? It's so to preserve your purchasing power. Right. So if you're telling me that you know that gold should be that the gold should be four uh, uh, x in ten years, I think that's what you just said, roughly. Then you would have to essentially be telling me that 
that anything you could buy today is going to cost four times as much 10 years from now. That's not what I'm and saying, because what I'm measuring. Yeah, but I'm looking at inflation in terms of the money supply. You're looking at it in terms of prices. But it doesn't. So, the money supply doesn't matter. The, the purpose of holding gold is you to don't think you don't think that the power. increase in the money supply dilutes purchasing power. It only dilutes it if if it filters through into prices. So what I'm asking you is, I mean, again, the only reason other than speculative fever, to, the only reason to, to, to have that ounce of gold in your hand or, you know, have a share of GLD or whatever the fuck is to make sure that you're preserving your purchasing power. That's the purpose of it. Right. So if if if, if you and I were to say, OK, I can buy $1,800 worth of stuff today with this ounce of gold. If you're telling me that this ounce of gold should be f worth four times as much in 10 years, you're essentially telling me that, that, that it's going to cost four times as much to buy an $1,800 basket of stuff in 10 years that it costs today. And I think that's crazy. It's not impossible, by the way. And, and if we were talking about, you know, in... 30 or 40 or 50 years, I'd say it's a lot more likely, but it's also, I think, a cop-out to say, oh, I have a 50-year investing horizon because- Why is that, that a cop-out? Because then you should buy the gold in, you know, if, if, if you're not gonna get the really big inflation until 30 or 40 years from now, you should buy the gold in 29 years. Yeah, but you don't know. I mean, that's the whole point of long-term investing, right? You don't know, but can you make a, can you make a cogent argument that it's gonna cost that that would cost eighteen hundred dollars today is going to cost seventy two hundred dollars just ten years from now. Just ten years from now, have you seen what we've done to the money supply in just ten years? I have. So I'm asking you a question. So are you telling me that what's the what's what's uh, do you have a calculator handy? What's the annual compounded rate of inflation you'd need to have four x in ten years? Look at the last ten years. The S and P's up like the S and P. Yeah, we're not talking about the S&P. We're yeah, talking but those about are financial assets, right? So they've risen in no. prices. No, that's not why you own gold. You own gold but you're to make sure for an your example, ounce of gold. You're asking for an example of prices rising, and I'm telling you that stocks are off the chart right now. So a lot of that money that isn't gold. seeing – a lot of that money – you're making the velocity argument, right? A lot of the but, money that isn't out and isn't affecting no. consumer prices is in financial assets, which is why we've you, seen such a huge financial asset bubble. I I agree, but that's not why you own gold. You own gold so that <laughs> so that I'm serious. You own gold so that that ounce of gold in your hand can buy a nice men's suit today, and it can buy the same suit in ten years. I don't that's think why that's you why own. I own gold. Well, that's why you should own it. No, I, I own it as a hedge a against speculation. It's, not, it's to preserve wealth. You said it yourself. It's to preserve no, buying what power. No, what I said, what I, yeah, it's to preserve purchasing power, and it's a hedge against the central banking model. Listen, a hedge against the central banking model, no offense, is just sort of a generalistic BS thing to say. It's a hedge for the purchasing power of your, of your money. Why is that a BS thing to say? Because we both, do we both agree that the purpose of owning gold, again, speculation aside, I mean, you know, if you get a Bitcoin mania in gold, God bless it. That's great. I hope I own it when it happens. But, but, the, but the, call it the fundamental reason to own gold is to maintain the purchasing power of your savings, essentially. Of your, of your, isn't that the real reason to own gold? Well, it's one of the reasons. Well, what's, another, what's any other reason other than speculative fervor? Well, it's a hedge, again. <clears throat> a hedge against what? It's a hedge against inflation. It's a hedge against central banking. What does a hedge against central banking mean? It, you're saying the same thing. It's a hedge against the value of paper money. It means if you woke up tomorrow and the world decided that it was 
over the fractional reserve banking model or something systemic or massive happened to the financial world that, you know, and we had a very, very hard reset in terms of macro that What's, I think. How, what, what would that be? How is that going to happen? I don't know what it would be, Mark, but it's the point not, is I don't have to fucking think about it. It's insurance. Well, yeah, but, but it's you, a you safety know, net. That's like tinfoil hat stuff. What do you think? You're going to wake up tomorrow and the whole financial system violates? What's that? I mean, you're going to wake up tomorrow and the whole financial system is suddenly annihilated? I mean, well, didn't that happen in 2008? <clears throat> yeah, and then the Fed printed a shitload of money and all the central banks did. Right, so what other bodies do you think are that? hiding in the closet? What other uh, landmines do you think that we may not you know, know about right now? Oh, What happens like when I... the dollar loses reserve status? What happens when there's a hot war? What happens when those Listen, things happen? I, I, all of these things, all of these things circle back to the same thing, which is the buying power of your paper money. Right? I mean, look, by the way, if the whole system blows up, I mean, some insane way, then, you know, good luck accessing your, your GLD, right? This is when you get the real bugs. They're like, oh, you right. got to own the physical gold. Correct. You know? And then you got to own a lot of guns and bullets so that when people come for your physical gold, right? Correct. <laughs> so, you know, so, you know, I mean, look, if the whole system melts down, you know, all bets are off. Who knows? At that point, you know, you're out of gold. All right, so you there's know. a reason to own gold, right? Yeah. I, you all know, right, thank you. Is that, a, is that a reason to tie up a significant amount of capital in something that has like a one in, in, in a million chance? Well, that's what of makes it one in a million? You really think it's one in a million with the way things are going? You really, okay. you really don't think there's a chance that China backs the yuan with gold at some point? Again... All I'm asking you is: Do you think, there's, I, do you think there's a chance China backs the yuan with gold? They don't that they produce a digital no. yuan and they back it with gold. No, I, all right. Well, that's I, where you and I differ. Digital yuan? Wait, wait, wait. Backed it. I mean, China has some some massive amount of debt, right? Like, I think I think total debt with everything is like roughly like ours. It's not like they're better than we are anymore. So, what would the backing be? Like one ounce of gold to I don't know a a, 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 a zillion yuan. You should I listen. Have no idea. You should listen to like. some Jim Records because he does a great okay. job explaining. Okay. Well, he does a great job of explaining that if in that type of situation we do yeah. want to. Well, what do you do? You want to finish? Wait till the end of my sentence before you ridicule me, all right? At least, at least <laughs> let me get the thought out. And then you can go, okay, all right, all right, yeah, whatever, bullshit. But he does a great job explaining what a, what a new relationship between a currency and gold would be, even if it's not, even if it's a diluted amount of gold per dollar, per yuan, per whatever, uh, than it was at any time in history, what that pegging would do to the price of gold. Yeah, well, and what it would do to the demand. Okay, right, and I don't think it's going to happen. I, right. I think central banks will that will not happen. And and I mean, I I mean, who knows? I mean, the end game and look, it took a couple hundred years for for Rome to collapse from you know from printing money. You know, back then they, I, I'm no expert on this, but back then they you know it was coinage, right? And they yeah. took the silver out, and instead of silver, you know, they started it Nickel was whatever the hell they right? did. Yeah, yeah, whatever. So you know and. And it took a long time to collapse. It didn't happen overnight. And obviously, you know, we talk about this all the time, but Japan's been doing this crap and for some, 30 somewhere years. in Rome, there was a Mark Spiegel saying, it's not going to collapse. You're crazy. You're a conspiracy no, I'm theorist. Saying, I'm saying it will collapse, but it takes a really, really long time. It, it could actually, it could pretty easily take take longer than my life and maybe even yours. You're a little younger than I am. Right. But, but regardless, all I'm circling full back, all I'm saying is, you know, if you're going to load up on gold today, 
at $1,800. And I do have a lot of gold. But again, a lot of that is, frankly, as I'm expecting some speculative fervor. But fundamentally, I don't think the purchasing power of the dollar in the next 10 years I mean, okay, you know, I think I think maybe, you know, maybe if it if if we have really bad inflation, it's 50, 60, 70 percent worse, right? And so that's not such a great annual compounding return on gold. I mean, it's okay. So I'm basically counting on speculative fervor to run my gold ahead of where it should be. So it's a little bit of a wise guy trade, but I, I kind of think it'll happen. But I'm not here pretending that fundamentally in terms of buying power. That if gold goes to seven dollars, it's going to be because the men's suit is seven thousand dollars. I don't think that men's suit, that an ounce of gold, proverbially will buy you. I don't think it's going to cost seven thousand dollars in ten years. If it costs eighteen hundred dollars today, not that anybody's wearing suits anymore anyway. But if it costs eighteen hundred dollars today, I don't know. You know, maybe it's you know twenty seven, twenty eight hundred dollars in ten years. That's all I'm saying. Well, we'll have to see. We'll have to see what. Uh you know, using your goalposts, we're going to have to see what the inflation numbers look like over the next couple of years. Well, you know, and that 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 will tell the story from from your angle. Yes. And by the way, you know, I have this argument all the time with a very good friend of mine who's a gold bug. He's become a gold bug. He's actually an equity guy. He knows stocks really well, but he's a gold. He's, you know, his PA has got a lot of gold. And he's like, eh, inflation is bullshit on their states, whatever. But but in order to get the price of gold to move, you need everybody out there to start fearing inflation, right? And so what, what, matters, what matters to the price of gold is their metric for inflation, not yours. Does you know the, what I'm saying? Does the idea that the Bank of International Settlements made it a, you know, a tier one asset last year say anything to you with regard to its adoption in the future for central banks? I mean, how I mean, how are they going to adopt it? I mean, what are they going to do? I mean, no, doesn't just, the ratio matter? I'm just matter? asking. I mean, did did you know about that? Uh, no, I probably saw a vague thing on Zero Hedge. Listen, they couldn't even get this chick Judy <laughs> Shelton. They couldn't even get her. They couldn't even get her on the Fed. Right? That's because bullish for gold. I don't see it as bullish for gold. It tells That's me that bullish because Fed's they're bringing on more of the same. Oh yes, yes, it's it is bullish for gold. So that but I'm it's right. Not bull it's, but it's not bullish for, a, I mean, I guess it's bullish for gold. It doesn't tell us anything we didn't know, but it's not. What's that? Nothing. I'm just laughing. You're cracking me up. Well, but it's not bullish for a gold standard. Well, it's not bullish for a gold standard, but what's right. going to happen bullish is for, it's, bullish, it's, bullish it's bullish for the exponential money printing that's <laughs> going to send us to the inevitable, which will be the gold standard. Listen, I agree. But coming back full circle, you should have in your mind a, a real idea as to, you know, at what rate will the purchasing power of the dollar degrade? Because the price of gold is contingent upon that. What, That's all what asset would you own instead of gold for a similar hedge? Well, I do own gold. So, you know, but, but I don't have, <laughs> but, no, no, but, but, but actually, but wait, again, I don't have crazy ideas in my head that gold is going to be worth $7,000 in 10 years. Now, gold could go to $7,000. Why, why is that a crazy idea? For the reason I'm telling you, because you, you, you say the, it's crazy. You say it's well, crazy no. that you, no, the, you, you say it's a conspiracy theory and a crazy I, idea no. that there could be a great monetary it's, reset or that gold could do something like that or there could be some okay. adoption. Yet, yet right, you own it. Questions. No, go ahead. I, I don't think it's a conspiracy theory. I just think it's not going to happen as far as the, the whatever you want to call it, the, a new gold standard. And and what and what I'm saying is I don't think that you know what costs eighteen hundred dollars today 
is going to cost $7,200 in 10 years. All right. I think it'll cost, you know, I don't know, $2,800, $3,600, you know, $3,800, whatever it is. That's all I'm saying. So, but, but I do think there's a possibility that a bunch of idiots out there see some inflation and all of a sudden say, oh my God, it's what, 1800 a day is going to cost 7000 in 10 years, and they're going to bid my gold up to 7000 and I'll probably sell them most of it. That's all I'm saying. All right. So let's move on. Let's move on. Unless okay. you want to, unless you want to make a, uh, unless you want to make a ten-year bet, we could do that too. You want to make a bet that expires in ten years about the price of gold? Uh, no, I'm, I'm, am t- saying about the. I, I'll make that bet about the per, the buying power of the dollar. I can't tell you. For, I can't tell you for sure that, that that gold won't go crazy. I mean, I guess I would make the bet because I don't think it's. I don't think it's likely that gold goes. So that I, crazy. I said five to seven thousand dollars when you asked where gold would be in ten years. So why don't we make the over under six thousand dollars an ounce in ten okay. years? December third, twenty thirty. God for God, hope we're still alive and we still know each other. All right, I'll take the over. You could take the under, and we'll do uh, whatever. We'll do two thousand dollars to favorite charity of our choice. How's that sound? Yeah, that's fine. I mean, if you're right, two thousand dollars will buy a candy bar, and if I'm right, it'll be worth something. So sure, I'll do that. <laughs> that sounds perfect. That's, that's a bet that like automatically favors me in a way, if you think about it, because you're looking for. You know, a massive, you know, let's use the word inflation, you know, massive degradation in buying power. And, and I'm and I'm not. So if I'm right, you're going to have to pay me in a much more valuable dollar than I'm going to have to pay you. So, yeah, OK, I'll do exactly. that. Back. Yeah. And I'm sweating okay. it. All right. Ten, ten years from now. Let's never talk about gold again in, in 10 years from now. All right. And the, the, well, we'll don't, don't, send me any more, don't send me any more daily trade alerts. All right. <laughs> I just I never, I never sent you did I send you a daily trading I put no but on you know Twitter. on that email yeah. chain we're on I always see your shit you know that's like oh, oh, support oh, other- resistance RSI okay so just a clue in the audience uh, we have a friend in common uh, you know I, I won't throw his name out because he may or may not care but but um, he's become a real gold obsessive and all he sits there all day long is watching GLD on his screen and he's like why is GLD down 80 cents today you know why is it why, you know, it's up 70 cents, you know, so good things must be happening. Um, you know, and I have I have other friends like this, too. You just, you know, these are the same people who say they own gold for the next 50 years. And then every day they're like, why is it up 80 cents? Why is it down 80 yeah, cents? Well, that's, again, he, I think, think he looks at it even closer than you do. This is the, on Friday, November 27th, the, you said, uh, he said, whatever the explanations given in the last few days or weeks, today's drop in the gold market makes zero sense. And you replied, correct, all the normal drivers are in its favor this morning. There's big GLD support between 158 and 164. And then I replied, not all daily moves in gold need to be explained. 20 years from now, it's going to be many multiples higher. I'll take any idiotic moves like today as continued buying opportunities. Hope you had a great holiday. So that pretty much sums up all three of our stances, right? Yes. Yes, although... Although you, you, well, first of all, I'm not buying this for 20 years from now, okay? I'm buying this for what I think it'll do over the next five years. I don't have a 20-year investing time frame, you know? Okay. I'm not, some, I'm, I'm not, some, by the way, there are old line, New York City, maybe elsewhere too, real estate families, you know, that are like in their fifth and sixth generation who have multi-generational investment horizons where like, 
you know, the grandfather started putting this assemblage together on West 54th Street, right? And then, and then, you know, and then 20 years later, his son picked up a few more parcels. And then 15 years <laughs> later, you know, and seriously, these are true stories, yeah, some of yeah. these families. And then they're finally ready to put up a skyscraper when the grandfather started assembling it in, in 1971 or whatever. I think that's amazing and that's fantastic. And and, and, and the, the, these families, unlike the Trumps, you know, that survive all these generations, they're very conservative on leverage. You know, they, they don't use much debt. And by the way, to answer your question, you know, unlevered, well, I guess levered in a way, if, 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 if your debt, you know, becomes cheap in, in real terms. But real estate is a good inflation hedge for sure. If you buy it right and, and it's in the right place, you know, any hard asset. I becomes, agree with that. But by the way. Inflation always kicks your ass. That's the problem. You're basically treading water and trying not to drown. That's that's right. that's the unfortunate thing about inflation. Right. And I put you out know? a tweet yesterday that you know alpha now <laughs> is just going to be assets that outpace hyperinflation. I think at some point. Right. I just I think that's further away than you do, and I think it depends how you define hyper. And you know, if we get three percent, you know, a three percent rate you know, late next year, I mean, that would be fine. And then maybe it's 4% and then 5%. And maybe it takes 10 years to get to 8%. I mean, it doesn't just, this isn't, it, we're not going to have a Weimar Germany situation, I don't think. That's all I'm saying. All right. Well, we have a, I think if we continue down the path we're on now, that's where we're going. Unless we have a Volcker step in, we're going to be heading in that direction. So we'll see. Uh, we got our- we Yes, but all I'm saying is that that, that could be a, it would have to be, I think, a multi-decade process. And in, in that multi-decade process, gold could get ahead of itself and behind itself. That, that's all I'm saying. All right. We've beaten this to death, I guess, right? <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about COVID. That was another thing we had a spirited disagreement about on Twitter. About what? Although, um, about COVID. Although I'm not really sure that we have a major disagreement. I, <clears throat> no. Uh, you know, no. I don't really think we're that far apart. Basically, yeah, the point I'm trying to make is that a massive lockdown of the country and major lockdowns of businesses is counterproductive at this stage in the game. And that e even worse than that, the hypocrisy of what these politicians have been doing with locking down their respective cities, states, telling people what they can and cannot do, telling people that they can and can't go to church, etc., while then turning around and going out to fucking dinner at you know the French Laundry or whatever that right. place well, is. Called. By the way, I joked about this in my. I, I need to take a moment of silence for my late Twitter account. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I joked about this when I said, at least the Republican politicians are honest about not giving a flying fuck about <laughs> about COVID restrictions and ignoring them. The right. Democrats have been the total hypocrites on this thing, right? So yeah, look, you and I both agree. I mean, I think we both feel the same way. Well. I, we both feel the same way from sort of a libertarian standpoint that everyone in this country is well aware of what this disease is and what it can do. And they're grownups and they're adults. And, and I feel that, you know, at, at least as long as the ERs aren't overloaded, that, that they should be able to do what they want to do. I assume everybody I encounter has it. And I wear if I'm around anybody, I wear a KN95 mask and I spend I, I won't go into a restaurant and I spend as little time as I can in stores and I'm mostly outside or at home. And and if people want to do that shit and I think they're being stupid, that's fine. Where you and I disagree is on the severity of the disease. It's very contagious and it's 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 very severe. It's got a much higher 
infection fatality rate than the flu, and it also spreads much more easily than the flu. As far as policy, I don't disagree with that. Between us, it doesn't make any difference because we're both sort of libertarian on policy. Go ahead. I I don't disagree with that. That's exactly what I've said. Yeah, so we're on the same page, and yeah, I've never, I have, I have, you know, I don't want to, you know, back when this thing first hit New York, when the ERs were overwhelmed, I was like, yeah, we got to have a lockdown. We got to stop the spread of this because. Because you know you've got makeshift hospitals and refrigerated morgue trucks, but and we didn't know got... we didn't know dick about the virus. Exactly right, that too. We didn't know anything about it. That's so correct. I was saying the same thing yeah. at the same time. Yes, we were actually. Yeah, we were both on top of that. I mean, you know, in hindsight, you were bragging about it a little bit more, but we were actually both on top of it starting in late January. Well, good. We... I never brag, and you know what? We... Fucking Sorry. people should have listened earlier. And by the way, speaking of bragging, I've been saying for fucking nine months that this thing was here well before we thought it was in January, February. And even CNN just put out an article yesterday admitting, well, it's been here in full force gale since fucking December, which means it's probably been here since November or October at least, which means it had months, it had months to spread without any kind of fucking regulations or precautions. And it also plays to my point that I think a lot of people had this shit earlier in the maybe. year and didn't even know yeah, about it. They thought it was yes. the flu. They thought it was the cold or they didn't show any symptoms at all. Well, I, it, I, don't, think it were, I don't think it was exactly a lot of people or you would have been seeing it in the ER, but I, but I agree that people had it for sure. And, and the funny thing is back to your CNN comment that they just put out that story, which I saw, I saw that, you know, the headline and whatever. Next, by next week, CNN will be calling it the Chinese flu. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they'll, they'll come around, right? So I don't, look, I don't know what the hell we were disagreeing about on, on Twitter because, you know, my, well, you, my whole point is I, it's three times as deadly as the flu when you look at the infection fatality rate. If you look at it compared to the flu, it's significantly, it appears to be significantly less harmful in much younger people than the flu. But then as you get up to 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, it evens out when, you know, 99.95% survival rate under age 70. Um, And so, you know, we're, we're looking at the same data. I'm just trying to figure out what conclusion I'm coming to that you're not coming to. I I, I don't think it's 99.95. I think it's under I under age 70. Nine, well, but within the subcategories, and I don't have the numbers in front of me. I think the I think the IFR is about 0.5 percent between like 59 and 70, isn't it? Say that again. One out of every 200 people who gets it dies from it between age like. Between age, I think, 59 and 70, if I'm not mistaken. Or uh, 50, something like that. Like, yeah, but I'm talking, I'm talking about all people under the age of 70. Yeah, yeah, of course. Oh, yeah, well, okay, so yeah, right. You're including where it's a microscopic rate for people in their 20s and 30s. Yeah, yeah but if you, right. if you look at the IFR between 59 and 70, I think it's also pretty close to influenza I, I, as well. I, no, it's, I it's, thought it was about 0.5. As you get from like 60 and above, then all of a sudden it really takes off in comparison to the flu. So when you look at that, yes. when you look at yeah. that average IFR number, the reason that it's got so much juice is because of the havoc it's wreaking on the extremely old people and people with pre-existing conditions. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, to me that just does not necessitate a full lockdown of the country. No, or, I agree. You know, it just necessitates yeah. precautions and common sense. And I think when you when we get the psych, when we wrap our heads around the idea that this again has 
probably already been here. And, you know, I mean, every day I, I'm, I'm mystified that people are – yesterday there was a headline, 8.8% of NBA players – Tested positive for COVID, and there's just like, ah, you know, people are like, holy, how can we? Well, let, but wait how a can second. We let this happen? Right. But, but you know, it's like, it's like, yeah, but what you're leaving out, but what you're leaving out is are are these these long term effects where you know a you know a meaningful percentage of athletes months later have like heart troubles, lung troubles. You know, you, you read about marathon runners who got over their COVID, you know, guys which, in their Which 30s. professional athletes have heart trouble and lung trouble that had COVID? Oh, I see I see stories about this, you know, pretty often on Twitter. I mean, you could Google it and probably find them. Well, you know, how I have come a, I've I, never heard of it? How come, how come you can't name somebody? I mean, you're talking about, well, you're talking about outlier cases. You're talking well, about you're talking about outliers, okay? Which we don't is, know how when much this thing they first broke. When the, what, yeah, but when this thing first broke... Okay, there was a story about a 20-year-old professional soccer player from Iran that had the disease, had COVID, and collapsed and died. And it was this big, and every story that you see on Twitter that's, oh, this guy's a marathon runner. He runs five miles a day. He fucking, you know, he just collapsed. He's, he died, and that's it, and whatever. Those are outlier cases. They happen, and those cases get a lot of attention and a lot of media attention and a lot of attention on social media. But you don't hear cases like, you know, my my friend's father, okay, who's like close to 70, who had it. It gave him a rough ride, right? And he recovered. Or people like, you know, that are out of shape that have it, like another guy that I know who had it. He was basically asymptomatic, tested positive, recovered, and then tested negative. So those cases are the ones that are happening en masse. These cases of, you know, oh, Doug Doug was a 32-year-old triathlete and he's dead now. Like, that is extraordinarily unfortunate and I don't want to trivialize that, but in the in the sense of looking at data, those are outlier cases. Right, well, we don't know. I mean, is an outlier, you know, one in a thousand or is it one in 10? Well, we're looking at the infection fatality rate data, right? So you know- No, 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 no. We're talking about the people who survive and have these long-term effects, neurological how effects. Can, how or, do you even know about long-term effects? We're only nine months from well, you know, the beginning about, of the pandemic. Well, when I say long-term, I'm talking about you know, months after recovering. You know, now you hear a lot of those stories, but look, I, your point is well taken. I, don't, I haven't seen any math that just doesn't exist yet as to what percentage right. of people are mentally not quite there Three years after recovering, right? Uh, three months. We don't sorry, have it yet. Months after recovering, or what percentage of people are still, you know, who used to be a runner, still have trouble climbing a flight of stairs? Right. Three months after recovering, or you know, what are they? The, the myocarditis. 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 Right. Right. You see those stories. I mean, some of the football players on a college team had this. How long does that last? We don't know. Right. But I'm just saying that that the IFR is not the only thing on this because these are issues you don't have when you recover from the flu. That's all, right. all I'm saying. It's another reason to avoid getting it no matter how old you are or how young you are. You I know? don't I, yeah, I don't disagree with you at all and I'm not, you know, I'm not out preaching don't get the vaccine and I'm not out preaching that there's no long-term effects. In fact, I say every time I talk about it, we those are that's one of the things that we still don't know is we still don't yeah. know what the long-term effects are cuz we don't have a long term. So we don't really uh, we don't exactly. really understand it. Just yeah. like we don't really understand, you know, the antibodies and the T cell memory yet. We, <laughs> well, that's right. We don't know how long we don't know how long you are, you know, how long somebody's you, you know, once you recover, we don't know how long you're immune, Correct. right? We don't know how long the vaccine will last, right? I mean, I, I, and by the way, on this vaccine, a, 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 a good friend of mine is a super smart 
uh, biotech hedge fund guy, and he's you know he reads every paper about everything. Apparently, the the um, the uh, what is it, Momenta? Moderna. 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 Yeah, you know I, I've never owned that that thing, but apparently the the side effects from the from the Moderna vaccine are much much worse than for Pfizer's vaccine. You know, like like they grade these. Like I think it's grade one, well, two, three. Pfizer's about vaccine it. isn't a mRNA vaccine, is it? Yes, it is. Is it okay? Well, it, it, an RNA. Yes, it is. And apparently, Pfizer's vaccine. And I'm I'm pulling these numbers out of my ass, but it was something like something like you know, 12 percent of the Moderna people had serious things where they couldn't. You know, I think they call it grade three, where you can't go to work. Right. You know, it's so it's so bad. And 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 like. The, the Pfizer number was like one third that or something like that. So what I'm saying is, if you have a choice, try to get the Pfizer vaccine from what I understand, you know. You ever, um, you ever have a flu shot? Oh, yeah, of course. Every year. You ever get uh, I'm always knocked out for a day after a flu shot, aren't you? No, my no. My the next day, my arm is is just like mildly sore, but not even enough. You don't, that get, I you don't get like tired and like run down and shit. No, maybe that afternoon I'm a little I'm a little sleepy that afternoon, but not not really. Yeah, but I know people get it. But this is worse. the the, the effects on on this, at least on the Moderna one, are are much worse than than a flu shot. You know, maybe Pfizer is a little more comparable. So I'm just saying, try to if you have a choice, <clears throat> if your choice is between these two before the other ones come out, you know, get the Pfizer one based on based on what I've seen and what I've been told. But but the other thing I what I was getting at is. You know, you need two shots here. You get the first one right, and then you get the second one in three weeks or whatever. And if the Moderna side effects are really bad, how many people are going to come back for that second one? And then, you know, what if this only lasts six months? I mean, that's fucked up that every six months you got to come get, you know what I mean? It's like, wow. we don't know we don't know where this is going yet. Yeah, if it only lasts six months, it uh, it'd probably be something you would do annually then, right? You would do it for half the year. And ride out I mean, the even, other, three. And even then, if it lasts a out, year, you'd ride out the summer. Well, I mean, the flu vaccine changes every year. Yeah, but the flu, the flu shot, it's one, it's not two, and it's much milder side effects. I mean, most huh. people, most people don't have what you have. You know, well, that, that's um, not true because the the only person I've talked about the flu vaccine with is very very good friend of mine. He says the same thing, and my parents say the same thing too when they get their flu shot. They say well, it takes me out for a day. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. So maybe okay. maybe you're the outlier. I I guess. And we yeah. have we have shots too now that you know are two shots, right? I think the pneumonia shot is two shots for some people, depending on which yeah. one you get. Yeah, but how often do you get that? Not as often. Not as often. But I mean, so it's going to come down to like if you if you need this two shot thing once every few years, all right, you'll get it. But even then, people will they'll slough off. They won't get it. Whatever. So I don't know. What do you just, think we should do? Uh, nothing. We got to do what we we, we got to do what we got to do. We got to move forward, and hopefully, people will take the shot. I'm just pointing out. I'm just pointing out that it's not as cut and dry as like, oh yeah, you know, the the economy is going to boom because everyone's going to take this shot, you know, or whatever. But obviously, everyone doesn't have to take it. You need some certain percentage of people to take it, right? right Plus, you've right. got the percentage of people already had this, but who are immune. But again, we don't know how long that immunity lasts. There's a lot of questions here we don't have answers to. Correct. That's all. Correct. So, all right, Spiegel. Listen, we I covered what we wanted to cover. We could go even further into depth about Tesla, but I'm just be beating a uh, 
beating our heads against the wall at this point. Listen, man. Exactly. I want to <laughs> express my sincere condolences for the loss of your Twitter account. Based on the email you showed me yesterday, I don't think you're getting it back, brother. So if everybody can follow you. At well, yeah, but, but again, but that e- what that email said was, I'm paraphrasing, I could read it exactly, but in fact, Whitney Tilson, who does sort of a, a multiple blast letters, he put out a very, very nice defense of me today, and and I thanked him for it, and I'll thank him again here on on your show, where he pointed out, yeah, it was very foul language, but he wasn't he wasn't inciting violence, he wasn't saying anything should happen to these people, he was just pointing out that they were selling their souls. For, I'm paraphrasing Whitney, you know, in exchange <laughs> for investment banking business, right? right? Which I was so so. I'm hoping that somebody at Twitter. In, if, if there's anyone listening who works for Twitter, that they interpret there is <laughs> that they that they interpret that uh, correctly and not you know and, and that they understand the nuance of the language enough. That's all. All right, Spiegel. Hey, and listen, not, man. You can listen to me at, at Stanfill Cap as my other Twitter account. Thank yeah. you very much, man. It's great being on, and I'm always I've always loved doing this. So yeah, we, we should always do yeah. a podcast after we get into an argument online. <laughs> then we just fucking bring the steam right here onto the recording, you know? And what's interesting is the day we were having the COVID argument, I text you that day. I'm like, well, we do a podcast right now. You know, like, we'll settle this on the air. And then all of a sudden, I, something came up, and that was like, you know, fucking two months ago. I can't even remember what we were arguing about, but. Yeah, you know. yeah. But I think we're pretty much on the same page now, which is good on that. So, yeah, right. buddy. Great talking to you, Mark. Thanks so much, Take buddy, care. for Thank your time. You. All right. Speak to you soon. Okay. That was the one, the only Mr. Mark Spiegel of Stanfield Capital. Always a pleasure to have him on for some engaging and aggressive dialogue. What a lovely guy, huh? Give Mark a follow at his new Twitter account. And please don't ban me for aiding and abetting his skirting of the rules, which in the email to him specifically said, if you try to create another Twitter account, we will find you and we will hunt you down. So (laughs) Godspeed Spiegel for the rest of you. Hope you hit your three drink minimum and I'm the fuck out for now. Peace.